Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. You know, some ways, the American church, we just keep bringing in program after program, and programs don't change people. And just getting people connected doesn't change people. Just getting people in small groups doesn't change people. Having phenomenal, smoke-machine-filled, awesome worship services don't change people deeply. And Jesus knew that. And so the question is, how do I begin to disciple people? I've got to begin with my own discipleship. That again was Pete Cassero, former pastor of New Life Fellowship in New York City and currently the head of a ministry called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, and last week Gabe started a conversation with Pete around the book Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. We live in an anxious world. That anxiety is a barrier to being truly transformed by and formed in the gospel and the ways of Jesus. You would think that those who are pastors and leaders would be least affected by the anxieties of the world, but the opposite is true. If a pastor or leader is emotionally and thus spiritually unhealthy, this will negatively affect those they shepherd and care for. I think we could also add parents, co-workers, and us as citizens actively engaged in our communities. It's also true there as well. This week, we want to continue this important conversation between Gabe and Pete. We're going to start by backing up a little bit in their conversation and start where they were reflecting on what ancient Christians did for their emotional health, which included pacing and the importance of Sabbath and our discipleship. Let's listen in. What what would you say for people who haven't studied the Desert Fathers? What what could they take away from that illustration today? What might that look like today? Well, I think we each have to create a desert in a sense of a a desert, a, a place where we are alone. They called it the cell. And it can be a chair in your office. That's For me, it's looking out the window of my office. But I begin to take some of the riches of, and I think what I've tried to do over these years is translate some of the riches of historical theology, church history, into the local church for today, that we've got to learn from people really different from us. Uh, and again, we're going back to the church in Syria and Egypt, Africa, uh, Asia, and and how we can in a sense, we realize how much the culture, Western culture, has so influenced us. And my work has been to translate it into our work today. So so I invite people to do, for example, a you know, begin to integrate silence and solitude as core to spirituality. Uh, so creating a desert means my first priority is, as a pastor or as a leader, is how, how do I have a being with God and being with myself, reflective, uh, out of which then I lead. That is the, the first great task. So I've got to slow down my life for the sake of long-term impact, which is what everybody wants for the kingdom of God to go forth, the name of Jesus to be known, impacting culture in all its form, arts, politics, you name it, right, in the workplaces. and uh, But that requires that we have been cleansed of the idols of our own hearts, uh, 
And that's what the Desert Fathers want to do is get into a place where I've got enough silence to be, to recognize the idols in me, as well as in the church and in the culture, so that I can basically help other people get there. But if I don't get there myself, I can't bring anybody there. Yeah. So it's, it's very slow and counterintuitive, but it's very powerful. That's the beauty of it. It's like you begin to get set free, and then you begin to bring some other people with you. And it's like it may, be, it may look small, like Jesus and the Twelve probably didn't look like much. Uh, they didn't look like much. And that's why the religious leaders were confused, because he didn't look like. Oh, he's doing a lot of miracles, but they're hidden and they're almost like muted miracles. You know, you can't quite see the loaves and fishes being multiplied, but you see the result of it. And, it, you know, he would do healings, pulling people outside the village and, and almost like he was veiling his identity. And again, it was this imperceptible looking defeated ministry that was really going to take the whole world. It was, it was it was upside down. It was crucifixion. It was a crucified Jesus. And it's just so different than everything that I'd been taught. I had been taught and modeled for me as a leader. Um, so it's taken me a long time to begin to get free from, I'd say, some of the frameworks of leadership that I think I'd been taught in the church that were mostly secular models pasted on to the church with a little bit of theology on it. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, I've, you talk about just how when you're faithful like this, your last decades can be some of the most powerful. And I think for a lot of younger people, man, the patience to to say, I'm going to go a certain pace here that's going to allow me to stay in tune with right relationship with God and others and my own rest, my own rhythms. Uh, and in a world today that's all about results, productivity, that's what get measures, that's what seems to get rewarded. The church just kind of opted into that. Yeah. How how do church leaders right now, I mean, how, I, I know you give some examples of, of the daily office. There's some practices that you implemented within your, your organization, your church. What are some of those practical ways that church leaders, organization leaders, even families can be trying to integrate this type of pacing into their life? Well, I like to begin with, to slow people down, I like to begin with Sabbath, uh, only because it's a 3,500-year uh, history, historical tradition within Judaism. That's, you know, part of the our church, you know, history as well. And to take a 24-hour period each week to actually stop all work, uh, you know, rest, delight in God and experience uh, what it's like to be loved and enjoy the beautiful, wondrous world God's made, that life's a miracle— uh, for 24 hour period every week on a consistent basis, that alone is revolutionary. It's I like what Bruggeman, Walter Bruggeman, the theologian, says. It's it's resisting powers and principalities that define us by what we do. And I, when I'm trying to help pastors and leaders, and most are Type A like I am, and have three visions by breakfast like I do. Uh, the Sabbath is a great place to start uh, to learn about Sabbath and begin to practice experimenting with it initially. It takes a while to figure out. I mean, Israelites didn't figure it out right away. Uh, it's going to take some time, but to, to orchestrate it, or architect and curate a Sabbath that fits your personality, your life, that's a revolutionary act and a prophetic act uh, for an individual leader to take today that's, again, in and of itself, powerful. Yeah, I love the practice of Sabbath. I mean, I, we this last weekend had a great Sabbath with, with our family, you know, on the hammocks outside for hours. And just seeing how uh, even our children just respond to that kind of space. 
uh, in their life, you know, listen to the birds chirp, just enjoying nature. And, and I know for everybody, there's different ways in which you get filled up again and you get reset. But if we don't start there, you're right. It's like we, we operate not out of rest, but we operate trying to earn rest. And that is not what God's design was for us. Um, you talk about these four failures that you have seen undermine emotionally healthy discipleship. Yeah. Uh, could you talk about those four? Just kind of give us a, a sense of each one of those, and and then we might dig into a couple of them. So uh, the the four are tolerating emotional immaturity. The second is emphasizing doing for God over being with God. And the third is uh, ignoring the treasures of church history. And the fourth is defining success wrongly. Now, since we've talked about slowing down, where our doing for God or doing in life flows from a cup that's overflowing with of being with God. So that's so that slowing down is key, which is one big component. But a second big component, as God has led us on this journey, and again, it's just our journey, and uh, is what we call uh, emotional maturity or emotional health. And this is very different than emotional intelligence that many business leaders are, have been exposed to, which is all very good for the business world. But for us, when we talk about formation in Jesus, um, emotional, the, the, when we talk about a person being transformed by Jesus has to impact their, their entire life, spiritual, relational, uh, intellectual, uh, and as well, physical as well as emotional. And so my work in my early years when this journey was, what does it mean to get at that emotional component? Um, and because we had so many people I was exposed to were so gifted, myself too, I was, just, I was building this great church, but my own wife didn't feel loved by me. I was very out of touch with my emotional world. I was not very self-aware, didn't know how to connect with people well, um, lowly differentiated. Um, uh, I, I didn't do sadness, didn't do fear. Very unaware of my family of origin impacted me today. And so we, I, when I realized this in 1996 is when this whole journey started and this realizing, oh my goodness, like there's whole stuff in scripture about emotional uh, maturity being connected to spiritual maturity, things like first Corinthians 13, all kinds of texts. And it's like a whole world just opened up to me. And so we went. I mean, I realized I was an emotional infant trying to raise up mothers and fathers of the faith, and it was almost comical. Uh, and here I was having all this Bible in my head, but I had big gaps in my own formation, and it was it was it was leaking out everywhere in the culture I was building as a church. So uh, I went full tilt on it, Gabe. I you know I ended up I got one for a doctor of ministry in marriage and family because I wanted to make the connection of all the stuff that people do in therapy and therapists and PhDs and say, how, how does this relate to leadership development? And so I went on a big journey. And so did my wife, Jerry, and pioneering things like genograms of how your family of origin impacts who you are today, grief and loss and all that stuff in scripture about lamentations. And I, I mean, it was just, it was, it was an amazing freeing journey. So we talk about like what's under my, keeps a shallow in discipleship. Yes, it's it's we're we're going way too fast and we're skimming on the surface. We got to slow down our lives to, to be with God and ourselves. But then, secondly, we ignore this whole huge emotional component of uh, who we are on the inside, and that we don't we don't disciple people in that. We we we, we don't deal with it. We don't touch it, and so we think just preaching sermons is going to be enough, uh, and it's not. And so again, I I could have been a I could have been talking to you right now and having crashed and burned, 
But I knew and Jerry knew that God had rescued us from, we could have been another leader disaster uh, in the mid nineties, like so many people we knew and we knew by the grace of God, we'd made it. Yeah. Well, throughout, throughout your book, you give all these practical assessments people can take about their own emotional maturity and whether they're an infant in certain areas, an adolescent, mature adult, you know, uh, really helpful. It's just practical. I highly recommend this to any leader listening. And if you haven't read earlier books that Pete has written on the emotionally healthy leader, um, that's where my journey began. And then emotionally healthy church. I mean, there's a lot of these where you've been just helping bring people along on this journey. Um, but when it came to discipleship, this became priority right now in a church that we, we have, you know, it's, it seems more and more people kind of consuming information and content mm-hmm. and learning and podcasts like this. And they turn to this information, but man, not necessarily getting disciple. I think of Paul's moment, um, I think in second Corinthians where he talks about, you have 10,000 teachers, but no fathers, Yes, you know, it's this idea that we're, we're consuming content, but we don't have fathers and discipleship reminds me of fathering. It's like yes. somebody coming along and saying, let me bring you with me and model what, what this life looks like. And it's just slow. Um, but discipleship for you, I mean, this, this book, after you've written so many books, this was the one that, that for this season, you felt like God was saying, you got to go in on discipleship. Why is that? Well, everything rises and falls on discipleship. Um, worship, giving, mission, body life, uh, marriages, families, children, youth. I mean, there's nothing that's untouched. And I, uh, so I, obviously, I'm after leaders. I'm just like you are a Q. I mean, I, I, you transform a leader, you can transform all the ones they're, everyone they're influencing, you know, their churches or ministries or businesses or nonprofits. Um, but I realized that the problem with leaders is their own discipleship. And so uh, in some ways, I wrote this book to leaders and pastors about discipleship for the whole culture and church, but it has to begin with us as leaders. And again, I had big gaps in my discipleship and I, and I was doing everything I kind of knew to do at that point. Um, but it just, they were missing holes. And some of that goes back to history. Um, some of it goes back to our own blindness at this. And every, every historical moment has blinders. That's why, that's why history and the, the world is so important for us to be in touch with so we can help, you know, see some of our blinders. But I, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was talking to a pastor and I was telling him I was reading your book and I said, it's a great book. You, you need to read it. It's, it's convicting me on my own um, need to like, produce, have big vision, do things and not necessarily quiet down and and have the quiet space and the reflective time to really hear from Jesus and be with Jesus versus doing. Um, And this person hadn't read your book yet, but just quickly said, yeah, I'm so excited about discipleship. I'm I'm planning for our whole church next month to launch this church-wide discipleship program, you know, and and there was part of me, this is a judgmental part of me, but there was part of me going, oh, wait, just please read this before you do that, (laughs) you know, because there's so much more to this than launching just another program, another small group thing, another, another way to just get people to circle up and talk about a book or you know, it's just so much bigger than that. And until, like you said, your focus is on the leader, until the leader is going through that transformation themselves, it's it's kind of hard to paint that picture and walk people through and actually, it. Gabe, I actually ask people uh, not to bring in, not to bring emotionally healthy discipleship into your church right away, please. Like, don't. Like, just bring it to yeah. yourself 
first. And and that is the the death of, um, you know, some ways the American church, we just keep bringing in program after program and programs don't change people. Uh, And just getting people connected doesn't change people. Just getting people in small groups doesn't change people. Having phenomenal smoke machine filled, awesome worship services don't change people deeply. And Jesus knew that. And so the question is, how do I begin to disciple people? I've got to begin with my own discipleship and really wrestling with areas where I've got to make sure I'm getting invested in somewhere. Uh, And then out of that slowly begin to bring it to some other people around me, my core team, and and then kind of in concentric circles moving out. But the problem is everybody wants it fast. And I get calls all the time, Gabe, like, you know, hey, I want to do this. We're all in. I'm like, why don't we just start with you before you go all in? Why don't you see if you're all in? Because <laughs> everyone, you yeah. know, I listen, okay, people like my books. They buy the books. I, I, I'm really not in the business of like selling books. My my goal and I, my love and my calling is for the church to be transformed. And so we create materials to help that process, but transformation can, can only come life on life. And it's just slow and messy and half the people don't work out. You know, it's just, it's just yeah, hard. Yeah. A lot of disappointment, a lot of, <laughs> exactly. yeah, a lot of challenge, it's real, real world, real distractions. And, and, you know, lots of times people get that close to it and go, well, I, I'm not really sure I want this. Yes. And that can be discouraging for pastors, and it can make pastors go, well, I don't know if this is working because people are walking away from it. And I think your point to them is, wait, it's probably working. Like, it's probably refining. It's probably producing the kind of um, demand. And and I know when I talked to I know a friend of yours in New York City, John Tyson, and when we were in New York City in church, it, it was – you know, these urban environments, it, it seems even the, the younger generations are saying, I want more. Like, yes. I, want, I want you to ask more of me, not less of me. I don't want to skim. Like, give me more here, because if this is real, I realize it has to actually encounter my entire life. and has to be something that's going to be a part of me all the time and not just a, a church service that I'm showing up to. Um, and, and I think sometimes we, we sort of assume like younger generations need just more shallowness and that is not what they're after. Yeah. I think COVID-19 really has accelerated that trend, uh, where we almost, people are realizing I, the crowd's not enough, just having a full room to feel good about things. I can't even have that anymore the way I did. And so, yeah, the, the young generation, they're, they're desperate for mentors. But you know what? I was desperate when I was 20, 22, 25. I was like, where are the fathers you know, who can mentor us? Right. Uh, I, I think it's just a natural longing. And I, I pray that people in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, we can really give ourselves to the next generation that they can get on our shoulders and, you know, do some really creative wineskin ministries that will fit the changing culture in which we live. Yeah. Well, in closing, uh, you have a chapter that deals with grief and the need for us to walk through those things and walk through pain. And you, you do also describe a lot about feeling our feelings. And, and as you just talked earlier about the types of leaders that tend to lead these large churches and organizations, there's a lot of just kind of moving past the pain to keep going to that next level. And that seems to just be a part of that temperament and personality. Could you just give us a, a moment here on why is it so important for a leader that might be listening to this? And that's been their journey to date 
to take the time to feel feelings, to take the time to go back and look at their family of origin, to look at grief and, and the story that's been told to them over time so that that going that would impact the future of, of, of their ministry being more healthy. Listen, I don't know anybody who likes to lean into grief and loss. Okay. I mean, we just naturally go the other direction because it's painful. I'd rather suppress it, medicate it, uh, deny it, uh, shift blame to somebody else, but I don't want to feel pain and enter my grief and loss. But I'll just, my great exhortation to all of you who are listening uh, and leadership is one of the great leaders, uh, if not the greatest in the Old Testament, was David. Uh, Two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. Uh, I mean, he commits adultery and murder and writes a psalm about it, you know, Psalm 51, to be sung in church. We have a whole book called Lamentations, uh, you know, Jeremiah in the midst of the rubble of Jerusalem. And if we're going to grow into maturity ourselves— um, and to raise up mature men and women around us, we have to become not simply apprentices to grief, but we've got to become masters. You know, think of a, a craftsperson, a master electrician or a master plumber, or a master artist. They go through apprenticeship and then journeyman, journeywoman, then they move into masters. I, I consider grief a similar journey. We, we kind of dabble in it, but if we're going to be in leadership, we've got to become like, David and Jeremiah and Jesus and, and master it where it becomes a part of our being, where the treasures that God has for us in it, we're actually like mining it because really all of, all of life is about loss. If you think about it, I mean, I, Jonathan Edwards once wrote a great sermon on the story of Job is the story of us all, but some of us will lose everything in a moment, but most of us will lose everything very slowly till the end of life. We'll, we'll have let go of everything. We'll have surrendered. But grief and loss just, it forces us to confront our self-will that's, we're, we're not in control. And the invitation is we surrender to a God that, my gosh, he's wild. And this process of what are you doing, God, I don't know, but I trust you. It, it's a very vulnerable, weak place to be in. Uh, but we've got to go there first. And, you know, I'm still growing and maturing in grief and loss. It's not that I, I like to do, but to go through COVID like we've just gone through and just like, okay, man, let's get on back to where we were. Uh, that is dooming the church to maturity. Yeah. Um, it's really a moment for us to pause and say, you know, and, and to grieve and ask God, what are the new things you want to birth through this? How are you coming through this? What are you saying to me through this and to us through this as a church? Uh, but to just go back and skip over and say, glad that's over. Uh, that, that would be a recipe for stagnation that's good this is q ideas with gabe Lyons and gabe's conversation there with pete's casero about his book and ministry emotionally healthy discipleship and gabe there was so much in that conversation that jumped out at me and i'm sure for many listening i mean it was so helpful for me not only reading his books, but hearing his perspective and the way he just keeps pointing us back to like our ultimate health is going to be found in the private place, in the secret place, not in the public place. And when that secret place is off, when that is not being invested in, it absolutely will impact everything that we lead, everyone that looks up to us, every relationship that we have. And in a world like today where that's not celebrated much, it's countercultural. We have to fight for it. We have to work for it. We have to have people around us, friends around us, those who love us, hold us accountable 
to do it. And so I couldn't recommend more to you his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Moving from Shallow Christianity to Deep Transformation, not for your whole church, but for you. Take a moment to take some time to read this book, to process it, to go through the assessment, to self-assess where you sit on this chart. You know, are you an emotional infant or are you mature? And what areas do you need to see some health grow in? And where do you need to invite Jesus in to help you walk through that? Is there grief you need to process? Is there feelings that you've been covering up that are making you a very unhealthy person to be around? These are some of the questions that will come up as you read that book. And you can learn more about his work at emotionallyhealthy.org. And I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll take a few moments. I, I know not everybody just takes big breaks, but there are a few extra moments to pull out that book, to read, to step away from all the demands of life and to invest in who you're becoming. And so I think this book would be a great tool for that. Right, Gabe, an important book and kind of brings up that old but true line, readers are leaders. Speaking about leaders and with a few moments left, if you're a leader, along with reading, we hope you lead your team to be part of this year's 2023 Culture Summit, either live in Nashville or virtually on April 27th and 28th. With the rise of mental stress and supply chain destabilization, economic turmoil and the confusion of misinformation, creating resilient communities is essential. Now, historically, the church operates as a convictional community where people of faith care for one another, love their neighbors well, and offer a path for human flourishing that runs counter to the ways of this world. The Culture Summit creates experiences for leaders from every channel of culture to connect and encourage one another to lead where they've been called. And like always, we seek to have honest conversations around many important topics. Along with Gabe talking about understanding our times, we'll hear talks on important topics like, is patriotism good? And we're glad to hear from Oz Guinness on that. We'll also look at AI, which thanks to ChatGPT has been in the forefront of many conversations, plus building family economies and so much more. Learn more and register now at qideas.org slash 2023. Again, qideas.org slash 2023. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Thanks again for spending time with us this week for Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. On behalf of Gabe, blessings. Thank you again for listening. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.